0: Welcome to The Wonderful World of Wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Wonderful World of Wine. I am Kim Simone, and I'm here with my co-host, Mark Lindsay. How are you this week, Mark?
1: I am great, Kim. How are you?
0: I'm good. Ready to talk a little wine?
1: Always, always, All right.
0: always. So today, we're going to be a little bit of uh, prognosticators and talk about what are the Trends in the wine world, what might be the popular wines that are coming onto the scene over the next year or so, and we've got a collection of articles that we pulled from uh, to talk about this, since it is still fairly close to the beginning of the year. And uh, I think spring is a great time to be talking about where we are going with wine. What are we looking at with uh, trending wines for the summertime? Because that does seem to be the season that we see new styles or new grape varieties, new packaging, like we saw a couple of years ago with with cans of wine kind of coming in onto the scene. So I think with the warmer weather, people get a little bit more creative. What do you think?
1: We're always looking for What's happening out there, Kim? And you want to let our listeners know what we're seeing. We had articles from three different sources. Vine Pear had actually two sources, Vine Pear and the Wine Industry Advisor. And I thought first, Kim, we should talk about the first Vine Pear article saying these are four varieties to watch this year. And they were kind of unusual. One of them, (laughs) I need you to even pronounce it because I like to start with that it was a Spanish and Portuguese variety and I couldn't even I never heard of it which one are we starting with you starting with the pais no not the pais there was palete palete
0: palete I believe it is palete
1: palete have you ever heard of this
0: I just saw one of these pop up when I was doing a search for some specialty wines that I had to order. So, I actually just saw my very first one of these. I have not tasted it or actually seen a bottle, but I saw that I could purchase it, so which I, which blend. really made me like think, I'm like, oh my goodness, that was just mentioned in that article. And it's now
1: you took yeah. the Spanish class with me that I took. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't even think it was mentioned in that. Nope.
0: It was not mentioned
1: (laughs) at all, but
0: (laughs) it was making me think back to when we were doing French Wine Scholar together all those years ago, and there was this particular style of, it wasn't quite red, it wasn't quite rosé, and it was popular in England, and it came from Bordeaux, and I feel like this is exactly the same thing. Yeah. Did you get that? Did did you have that little bit of memory?
1: Yeah. It's a red and white blended wine. Yep. So... Uh, it's just weird when we see these things pop up that they think it's going to be something to watch, and we have to know it so we can right. so we can watch it, right? So.
0: Yeah, I think it's a tricky, fine line to walk when industry folks are trying to say this is the next thing to look out for, because there is that balance of how do you get people excited about something that is not in the market yet but then how do you bring things into the market that people don't know about yet? It's this weird, like catch 22, like people can't drink them if they're not available, but people have to know about them and want to buy them in order for them to be available. So it's, I think it's difficult when recommending in articles like this, these wines that are extremely hard to find because even for us, who have access to practically everything that you can order for the state of Massachusetts, how many of these wines are even available for us to put on a shelf or to show in a class? Like very, very few. So I think it's kind of hard to be like, the next big thing is going to be this obscure wine that you've never seen or heard of before. So tricky.
1: Yeah, that's where we always take these articles under consideration. What's the source? Yeah. Is it the region that's pushing it? Is it the importer that's pushing it? Because someone's behind it Mm -hmm. to start the movement or 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 seeing a trend somewhere. So,
0: I mean, I personally think that this sounds like a fabulous style that I would absolutely love to drink. So they're saying in this article that it's, it's unusual because it's red grapes and white grapes fermented together. And you really don't often see that. There are only a handful of rosés that are even made that way. And then sometimes there are red wines that are like 97% Syrah or whatnot, speaking spe- specifically for the Northern Rhone, and just like 2 or 3% of white. So finding a wine that actually is a... you can call it a dark rosé or a light red, where it's literally made by like probably half and half of red and white. You know, it's very unusual. And I think that for something that could be trending, rosé is still crazy popular. And I think for consumers who are looking for something that is a little bit maybe lighter in alcohol, something fun, something different like this, but also familiar. So kind of bridging that gap between a light red and a rosé. I think that if this was something that was out there in the market and available for somebody to pick up a bottle of, I actually think it would be pretty popular. But it's but but we have to see it, you know. It has to be on a shelf, right?
1: Right. And you started talking about the Chilean grape that they mentioned. Yep. So pious. You say pious.
0: I say pais.
1: Pais. Pais. Say it correctly. I think I
0: say it. I think I say it. Correctly, but it's also known as the Mission grape. Which, mission if anybody grape. knows anything about how wine making and grape growing started in California, where the the monks came up through Mexico and then planted their grape vines in order to have. Wine for the church without having to bring it over from Spain anymore. This was the grape variety that they were planting. And we don't see much of it anymore in California or in North America, but apparently they grow a lot of it in Chile. I've actually had a couple of them, it's been a few years. Since I had them, uh, I want to say it was maybe like four years ago. Since I tasted this grape variety, and it was, I it was a little rustic, you know, it was a little funky. So maybe they have gotten better, and I can always be convinced. So if somebody wants to show me a bottle of Mission slash Pais, I would uh, happily take a taste of it.
1: I've always stocked one, and I keep it actually in my Pinot Noir section because to me, it's the body. Of a Pinot Noir, but it has a spice note to it that sets it off from Pinot Noir. Like what kind of a spice note? It's more of like a pepper spice.
0: So like if people liked Shiraz, they might like this? Yeah,
1: but a light body. Okay. It's almost translucent colors. Uh, This has been around for a while. And once again, not many are around, but uh, this one from Chile that I've stocked. Mm-hmm. I like it. That's why I brought it in. And I didn't know it was trending, but <laughs> Now you know. Here. Yeah. And then they mentioned Nebbiolo from the Lange region mm-hmm. in Italy. Our listeners are probably familiar with Barolo and Barbaresco, which are Nebbiolos that are aged a lot longer. But there's a lot of values out there in Italy from this Lange region where it doesn't age it as long. Uh-huh. So they're saying that's something to watch for. What's I- your experience with non- Barolo, Barbaresco, Nebbiolo, Kim?
0: I think that they can be a great value, especially if people are looking for something that has some body to it. The tannins that come along with Nebbiolo are usually fairly persistent there. You're not going to mistake this for a Pinot Noir or lighter style wine. So even the Nebbiolos that maybe don't have a lot of time in oak or that don't come from those more expensive growing regions like Barbaresco, like Barolo. They still have that classic sort of grippy tannin that you expect from Nebbiolo. So I think as long as you're not expecting these wines to be Barolo because they're not. They definitely are a little bit lighter in style and they don't have the complexity that you expect out of some of the wines from those more famous villages. But I think that the flavors are lovely. I think that that we've been getting some really good value out of Piedmont lately for whatever reason. I don't know if it's benefiting slightly from climate change, climate warming, or what's going on. But I feel like I've tasted some really excellent examples of wines from Piedmont recently, and that there are some really good value-oriented wines from this region, especially those made from Nebbiolo. So I, I think that it is a wine for people to check out and go out and actively look for, because it's, it's, you know, it's not a wine that you just sit there and sip. It definitely is something that needs to go with a little bit of food, but it, it can be a really lovely
1: drink. Yeah, definitely food wine definitely a food wine. (laughs) Next, they mentioned Sinso. Which is so
0: interesting because we see Sinso all over the place, but as a blending partner. So not as an individual grape variety, sort of standing on its own as the backbone of a wine. So I don't know how much Sinso I've actually seen.
1: Well, they started the article mentioning it from South Africa, and I've always just really experienced it more from... Southern France. So, you know, I I don't know if they're pushing for a while last year or the year before, a lot of people were pushing South African wine for some reason. Um, So I'm thinking maybe this is part of that movement. And they just picked this particular grape from South Mm -hmm. Africa. And they said, oh, by the way, it comes from Southern France too, but that's it. I mean, that's where it's usually- I mean, my
0: experience with this grape variety as it pertains to South Africa- is really just as the parent to Pinotage. Like that, I feel like is the only place that I've seen it mentioned in the context of South Africa. I I don't feel like there are too many single varietal bottles of it out there, but I know I have seen a couple, but not nearly the same as I've seen of uh, recently Cabernet from South Africa or Syrah from South Africa. Yeah,
1: Blanc from South Africa is trending. Yeah, but as far
0: as the Reds go, I would say that this is for me, kind of down the bottom of the list of what I would be expecting to see from South Africa.
1: The Vine Payer article led us to another, what's the next varietal trend from the wine industry advisor. And I liked how they gave a little history of trends in mm-hmm. wine. And they were saying in the eighties and nineties, it was all about white in, In the 2010s, it was about sweet red blends. And the last few years, it's been healthy, low-cal, organic, or sustainable. So more of a what's good for me style thing is trending. But they've made a comment that the trends now don't seem to be based on any particular varietal that people are looking for. It's, mm-hmm. For instance, they want an organic wine or a low wine. They don't necessarily care what the grape is. Okay. Show me the locale stuff or show me the organic stuff. Okay. This cab, this shot and then pick what they want. So they, it was interesting to me how the trend, and I think we talked about this before where people don't really care about the grape as much anymore.
0: Yeah. I thought this was a very interesting take. I did have a little bit of an argument with their, the beginning of the article about sweet wines and then sweet wines are going away. I I don't think that that is the case. I think that there is always going to be a place for those beginner sweet wines like whites Zinfandel, like Moscato, and that it's not that those wines go away. It's that the style remains, but the wine itself is different. So I think that that can highlight, like that idea sort of can highlight this idea also of, People moving away from ver- that it's the variety and more thinking about what does it stand for? So if you think of that trend of lighter, sweeter wines like the Whites Infandelles, like Moscato's, like whatever the next thing is going to be for wine that is simple and easy to drink and has a little bit of sweetness and that maybe people will use as sort of their gateway wine. I think it's interesting that if we think of it that way, that, oh, instead of thinking it's about the grape or it's about where the wine is from that it's more about, oh, it's about the style, then we can think of that trend of people looking for wines that maybe have more of a health consciousness to their marketing, that that almost can be considered a style as well. Even though it's a marketing style and not necessarily a flavor or a texture style, I think that thinking about them in a similar light makes more sense of the trends.
1: Yeah. And that same thing happened to me. The light bulb kind of went off when I'm reading, I'm saying people don't care about that. But then they mentioned how, if you look at the growth in Mm rosés and you mentioned sweet wines and you think about the sparkling, people, when they buy a rosé, they're not really asking you, I want a Pinot Noir rosé. And most of the time, the rosés, you don't even know what's in that Mm rosé, right? And the same with sparkling. People there's a big trend we were saying earlier this year about Prosecco Rosé. People probably don't even know what's the grape in the Prosecco Rosé, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so I can see that also with sweet wines. They want something sweet. I don't care if it's m- Moscato whites in, I-, I want something sweet. So exactly, yep. it all kind of made sense to me where <laughs> this is going.
0: You have a light bulb moment.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I, I think it's, I can see it's it. totally
0: true, especially when you're talking about sparkling wine, right? It's like, do, do people really know what is in their bottle of bubbles? No, it's the style that they want. Right. right? right and right. I think that that has been one of the things that has really helped Prosecco and the marketing of Prosecco. It's that it was easy to understand this style of wine. And then you just add the pink to it. And it's like, wow, that's even easier to understand. It's like we get that without having to learn too much extra stuff about it.
1: And on your style thing, Kim, one of the questions I want to ask you is if if this trend going to change how retailers position products or how wine lists are made. And then I was thinking back when I first saw retailers that instead of putting Cabernet or France, they were putting bold or Mm -hmm. light or crisp and then put wines it, that met that profile I feel like now I've I'm seen
0: many restaurant wine lists that already do this by that
1: group by style
0: that group the wines by style we'll still give all of the yeah. information about the wine but that there will be a style component to how the wine list is arranged
1: so do you think they did that because they saw this trend coming or that it made more sense to their customers
0: I think because it makes because it makes sense yeah Frankly, it I mean, if I'm going to do does. a wine tasting and I'm going to range the wines from lightest to heaviest because it makes sense when you're tasting stuff, I think it also makes sense to do it for what your how your wine list is organized because people, I think they can have that progression in their minds thinking, okay, I can see it visually in front of me that this is the lightest at the top and this is the heaviest at the bottom. And where do I want to be on that spectrum when it comes to what you want to drink or what you want to pair with your food or whatnot. So I think it's a really smart move.
1: I like the idea because someone is in your Cabernet section and they'll you have to tell them, well, this is bold. This is a heavy style wine. Or you could just say, hey, the cabs are in the bold section.
0: Right. <laughs> right. You want a Cabernet? The, Go to the bold it's section. It's a different
1: approach to it. And it, yep. I think it could almost build your palate a little better than sticking you in a varietal section yep. and
0: and there are Put even wine air. stores that arrange their wines that way.
1: Right. And when I first saw it, i was like, wow, how, how do they relate that to the customer? How do they stick this product in? What section yeah. are they in this and that? But it made sense. Also in the wine advisory article, Kim, they had a little note about New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc is taking some of the Pinot Grigio drinkers. What did you think of that?
0: think we've been thinking for a while that that is what would happen. I don't necessarily buy it. I feel like New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc is a little too, I hesitate to use the word bold for a white wine, <laughs> but if you put an Italian Pinot Grigio up against a Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand, I feel like there's so much of that citrus and the acidity is of a different character than what you anticipate out of a glass of Sauvignon Blanc. I feel like If you just like that light, mild style of Pinot Grigio, then New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc can be a bit overwhelming with all that citrus, with all that grapefruit, with that grassiness and with that really tart acidity. So I don't necessarily even recommend that Sauvignon Blanc be like a next step for a Pinot Grigio drinker anymore. I used to, but I've come to think that it might not be the best next step to try to get people to trying something new.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I, didn't, I don't see that as an easy yeah. conversion for...
0: And another reason why not is because those two wines have been around and been consumed and sold side by side for so long that if it was going to happen, I feel like it would have already happened. And I haven't seen anything indicating that New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc drinkers are just a lot of Pinot Grigio drinkers who have now tried something new. I just I haven't seen that.
1: I agree. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. If you'd like more information about Kim, please go to her website at commonwealthwineschool.com. If you'd like more information about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com. We're here every week on Franklin Radio, WFPR 102.9 FM. You can find our past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. If you have any questions or comments, you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Today, we're talking about trends in wine. We've gone through a, an article in Vine Pair, and we've gone through an article in Wine Industry Advisor. And now another Vine Pair article we want to talk about is they followed trends using Reddit. Do you use Reddit at all, Kim? I
0: tried many years ago. I think I should try it again because I feel like it's a forum that really allows for a lot of interesting conversation and ideas to be passed around.
1: Yeah, I download the app and I follow trends, but I don't know really a good search feature or how you would utilize the mm-hmm. search as much, but... I guess VinePair did, and they were looking at terms that are kind of trending in the wine world. And a couple of things I liked about it, a couple of things I thought were unusual. And
0: there um, were a couple of things that were just like jokey and snarky too.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think they picked up like one of the things they said could possibly trend that I thought at first when I saw it was a joke. They're saying partners, branding partners are going to put out things together more. So the example was Barefoot Wines came out with an Oreo flavored wine. And when I saw it at first, I thought it was a joke, but it's April it Fool's quickly, Day joke. <laughs> yeah. But it quickly sold out. It, but I can see that and I've seen in the past where Well you're I think Mr. Cookies
0: was, and Wine, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, but big brands partnering up with another big brand is not been uncommon, but to make the flavor is kind of unusual. And I'm hoping a lot of that doesn't really trend. But I've seen like precept wines, they had the box wine with cheese it's a box of cheese it's with the box of wine that is
0: exactly what ah, i thought shit. when i read this one i'm like oh it's the cheese it's
1: <laughs> yeah no but that to me that's okay but to make it if you make cheese it flavored wine now we're talking <sighs> i don't want to see that yeah. trend but I guess and
0: that's was- where a lot of the jokey i think uh reddit comments came about this one was something like what was what was one of them it was like you no know, like chocolate chip cookies and albarino or something like that which was yeah. funny i'm like oh let's not go there <laughs>
1: But I could see companies wanting to partner up to promote together, especially a brand like that. I mean, Barefoot, popular, right? Oreo, mm-hmm. popular. They also mentioned Lambrusco was popping up a lot. And this is something I wish would kick back in.
0: I know. We keep trying. I feel like Lambrusco, just like Beaujolais, is often on these lists of, oh, any any time now, this is going to be the trending wine. And it hasn't happened yet. I would love to see the, more of an interest in Lambrusco because it's so yummy and it's been a really hard thing to get people
1: interested in, unfortunately. I think the past, the way Lambrusco was introduced into the country with the the, the, the stuff, Rianiti. it's not yeah. really what they want to promote right now. I mean, there's so many different styles of Lambrusco that are just great food wines What about half bottles? I think Rio Nitti did them a disservice all those years ago, unfortunately. What about half bottles, Kim? They're saying half bottles are going to make a return.
0: I frankly would love to see more half bottles in the market. I think it makes sense for the way that people drink, especially if you're maybe trying to reduce your wine consumption and two of you can have one little half bottle of wine. I would love that, especially now that we're seeing people being more comfortable with the size of a can of wine which is usually a smaller format anyway, building off of alternative and kind of going back towards traditional packaging, but then moving towards that smaller size, I think could be something that could be very, very valuable in the market. But we really don't see too many half bottles right now. And we're always told that it costs more per unit to make a half bottle of wine because you either need New package it, you know, new a new bottling line, or you need to like stop your regular bottling line and put in the half bottles and blah 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 blah. So that's always why we're told that half bottles don't cost half of a bottle of a seven fifty; that they end up being like three quarters of a bottle. So I feel like if the pricing could work out a little bit better, and that the price of a half bottle of wine was closer to what it should be, then then I think that there would be more, much more interest for it in the market.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking maybe the can movement or the the smaller packaging is kind of pushing people back to maybe the 375 uh-huh. size bottles now because all the other package smaller packages are trending a little bit but it's really offered for me to, to put them on my shelf and it's it's kind of a shelf nightmare too yeah but uh, it is good for consumption and trying to cut back and keeping the wine fresh what else on the list did you see from the reddit trends that there was a few sparkling things on there. They think kava should be coming back and yeah, sparkling rosés.
0: I would like to see kava coming back. Frankly, I think one of the issues with kava these days has been some supply chain issues. So I think as long as availability is there, I would like to see more of an interest in kava. I know whenever I pour kava for classes, people are always really excited by it for good reason. It's, it's usually very well-made, delicious wine from all over Spain. So it's not even just one particular region of Spain. But one of the ones that I did notice was the downturn in skin contact whites, which I really do think that that style of wine was just sort of a flash in the pan trend.
1: Meaning orange wines.
0: Orange wine. Yep.
1: It's not going to trend any longer.
0: That it's maybe had its day right. in the sun
1: and yeah. now it's going to.
0: Yeah, Except for some, really... you know, specialty wines, I really can't ever see that style of wine becoming incredibly mainstream. Like we've seen rosé go go mainstream, like we've seen prosecco go mainstream. I think it's just too funky for non-geeky wine people, <laughs> I guess I have yeah. to say it that way, but it's not even really a style of wine that I like to drink. I think I think it has a market but I don't think that that market is ever going to be mainstream market.
1: Yeah, I don't think it ever took off. It was it was funny. The other day I saw, um, did you ever hear of an alcohol uh, liquor product called Buzzballs? No. They're like these little individual serving, like they have a strawberry, a lime, a chocolate. But the base for these Buzz Balls is orange wine. It says that right on the really? label. It, the base is orange wine. It's not rum or vodka or tequila. How unusual! And I'm like, wow, orange <laughs> wine's is to a comeback because it's in buzz balls. What about the comment they made, Kim? More good box wines are going to trend.
0: I think that that is going to happen.
1: Would I you? I think that's going
0: to happen. I'm, I mean, I'm I'm hoping. And to kind of go hand in hand with that, that they talked about screw caps too, and that more and more wines that are meant for immediate consumption and not for aging, whether they be whites or reds or rosés, uh, being being bottled under screw cap. And and I think that that has been a trend and will continue to, it's almost not a trend anymore. Like I I almost wouldn't even lump that into, oh, this is a trend. It's a reality. It's it's not really a trend. It's happened. We have to, it we has have, trended.
1: <laughs> we have to go back to the box thing for one second. Oh yeah, why? If, do you think the person who's buying, say black box or Boda box is paying 15 to $20 is going to pay 45 to $50 for a higher quality, good boxed wine?
0: I think they might not be the target market audience. I think the person who would be buying that more expensive bottle of boxed wine would be the person who would be buying a similar wine to what they usually buy. So if they ordinarily would spend $20 on a bottle of wine, and then could get the equivalent of four of those bottles in a box at a discount, because it would end up being a little bit less expensive if it was in a box, then I think those people are the ones who would be driving the higher end boxed wine movement.
1: So you think above $20 bottle person?
0: Yes. If they know that what they are getting in that box is a value- Bulk. Yeah, a value off yeah. of what they would ordinarily be drinking. Same quality as what they would get in a bottle, but just a different formatting. And then, oh, because you're getting it, don't have to pay for all the glass and all that. You're actually getting it at a little bit less expensive.
1: That's how some I would how we it, look at things. it, frankly. And yeah, to me, I would think if like popular brands like KJ put their shot in a three liter box or Josh or some of them, some of the bigger J-Lore, if uh-huh. they put it in, that consumer that's paying 10 to $15, I think you could get them onto a box quality more than the $20 guy.
0: Yeah, I, th- than- I think that that's probably very true as long as they know that hey, you're getting what you ordinarily drink. This is the equivalent of four bottles because I I think that that has to be stated, like just saying, oh, this is three liters. I don't think that that is gonna compute for a lot of people. I think you actually have to put on there, this is the same as four of those bottles that are right here next to it. And then they can see the value that they're getting. And I think it all comes down to value, especially for something like that.
1: But there's been a lot of, I've seen French Bordeaux's and this, I just don't see people, if you want to enjoy a Bordeaux, I, I don't see You know, see the, them. all
0: of the French Bordeaux's that I've had in boxes, frankly, I
1: haven't liked very much. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it about- was, it
0: was a couple of years ago now, but yeah, to pay it's, the equivalent of $15 for a bottle of something and have it not be something that you're really excited to drink that um that quantity of I think it has to be worth your while and has to be really tasty.
1: Yeah, and it's a tough shelf space to compete in because you get such sure. big brands that are taking up that box space mm-hmm. to to put something at the higher. They're saying good, more good box wines. It didn't they didn't really say a price point. Mm-hmm. Didn't necessarily mean they another border box type line. You know. So, but we'll see. Tim okay. had the idea of kind of monitoring. In uh, a couple of years, talking about seeing what these come about, but I won't remember. Into that's, so.
0: that's why we have the shows recorded, <laughs> so we can go back and re-listen to them.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll have to revisit. That'll be a good uh, show for future to yes. revisit old. That'll the be shows a future.
0: That'll be a future New Year's show.
1: Laugh at what really didn't happen.
0: That's right. Yet again, Beaujolais is not trending. Uh,
1: <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. We'd like any questions or comments you may have. To find Kim, you can get her on CommonwealthWineSchool.com. For myself on FranklinLiquors.com. We're here every week on Franklin Radio, WFPR, 102.9 FM. And we'll see you again next week. Cheers. Why,
0: why,